Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit to be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God whom created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Father, I come now before your book humbly. And Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters, through the power of your Spirit, will hear what the Apostle Paul is saying. Father, I pray that they hear your words, not mine. Father, I pray that they hear that which spoke existence into being by your Spirit. And that, Father, they understand the joy but also the privilege and the power of being in the body of Christ. Father, help us, help us to hear that we may walk in a manner worthy and stand in the grace that is still Christ Jesus. To you, my King, my Lord, amen. Last week, uh, I dealt with what is the church? We're looking at this mystery that has been revealed. And so last week I spent that message and said, what is a church? Because I know in, in my days I can go around and ask 50 people what is the church and I'll get 50 different answers. Okay. And some of them will not be biblical. It is what we think that the church should be. And so I dealt with that. Last week, I actually dealt with it last night at the cowboy camp. That there are too many of us have a presupposition of what we think church is. And if we're really smart, we'll see what Christ thinks the church is. Because we saw last week that he built it. It was for him. It was on him. It was of him. And... um It's inseparable from him. So that is part of this mystery that is being revealed. And what is really cool is that you and I right now are part of the revealing of that mystery. The church, which is his body, is being revealed. And and. That is amazing just in and of itself. But it says that the church is the fullness of him. So if you take all of the attributes and characters of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the church. Okay. I was talking about Ramesh and I heard him. In a message one time. And he started it off. It was very fascinating. He says. Right now. Around the world. All over. Every language. Every ethnicity. There's a 
phrase being stated that is common to all men. And of course, everybody's like, oh, what's that? What is it? Hello? And he said, no. How are you? Okay. So, if you were to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and you were to ask him that same question, what would you think would happen? Well, I can tell you, that's simple. If you were to ask the Lord Jesus Christ right now, how are you? He would say, my head is fine. My body, not so good. Why? Because you, we as humans have interjected into the church what we believe the church should be. And I shared with you, and I'll summarize it quickly. It is the foundation and the pillar of truth. Okay? And yet we are the fullness of Him, and Christ is His head. Do you understand something here? Did you know that the church is the only institution that Jesus left on this earth? Did you know He didn't leave a seminary? Not one seminary. How in the world are we supposed to get along with no seminary trained people? He never left us any parachurch organizations. He left us the church that he said he would build. So we who are in Christ, we are that fullness of Christ. We are that church we are inseparable and we are invincible and we are this for eternity so now we are in this mystery age of the church okay now listen uh, if you spend time in the word of god you will understand that in this mystery that is the church this mystery age i call it the gap between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel that nobody saw the writing on the wall. Okay? It, there's a gap in there that nobody, nobody saw that come. There were little hints of it. Remember when Jonah had to go up to Nineveh? Who was he going to go preach to? Gentiles. Thrilled him. He was excited. What an evangelistic trip. I think I'll go fishing first. Okay, because he knew that what would happen if you preach to the Gentiles, they would repent. Okay, and he didn't want to do it. So there was always a separation between the Jew and the Gentile. There, it is that way today. I have been to Israel. I told you about my little trip last fall when I was on a whole plane full of, uh, uh, I don't know if they were rabbinical trainees or what they were but they were sure rude and they probably thought i didn't i was very nice and well behaved i'm not going to say i was rude i was just a gentile so there's still that division that exists but in this church age this gap between the 69th week and the 70th week that Daniel speaks of, there's many mysteries within the mystery of the church being revealed. One is the mystery of iniquity. Romans 7. I do the things I don't want to do. Why? It's the evil of my flesh. There's the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is the mystery of the incarnation. God took on the veil of humanity. That's the church age, people. The mystery of the Jew and Gentile, one in the church, partakers, joint partakers of the body of Christ. And then there's that mystery that's coming that everybody I watch, people, they get all apoplectic over this. And it's kind of funny. Mystery Babylon, an evil system that will come at the end. Well, what is that? It's an evil system, Babylon, that will come at the end. But what is that? That's exactly what I said. So there are many mysteries that are incorporated into the church age. Okay? 
The church age was hidden. We've already looked at that. So the mysteries of that age that were in the church age, they were hidden too. Now listen, we've looked at it, the prisoner of the mystery, verses 1 through 4. Paul was in prison five years at, before he wrote Ephesians. Why was he in prison for? Preaching the mystery. What was the mystery? Jew and Gentile, one, joint heirs, fellow partakers with the Jews. Okay? Take that message into Jerusalem and rejoice. But make sure you have a helmet on and Kevlar. Because it's... uh, it's not well received today. Okay? Although, God seems to be opening some doors. He's been in prison for five years, so he was a prisoner of the mystery. Paul uh, was revealing this. He was compelled. God was and is... God was and is making a new humanity. Do you understand that? There are no differences. There's no uniqueness. We are one. There is no slave nor master, male nor female, Jew or Gentile, or my favorite is Greek or barbarian. A barbarian is a Gentile that can't speak Greek. Okay? I'm a barbarian. I have been nominated. God was making this new humanity and Paul was God's special guy for the revealing of this truly amazing, special message. He was a prisoner. But we looked in verses 5 and 6 at the plan of this mystery of this mystery. Uh, in verse 5, literally, he just defines the mystery. And in verse 6, he explains it. Fellow heirs, Jew and Gentile, fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus. And it was all through what? The gospel. The gospel. There's a book written a few years ago called Not Ashamed of the Gospel. And I had bought several copies of it because I was dealing with pastors who were, they were buying the song and dance. How do you grow the church? And I would run into this because they were frustrated. They couldn't understand what was going on. You know, I've plugged in all the new systems and nothing happened. And I'd give him this book, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. Why? That is what it's about. It is the gospel. I watch as a pastor, as a preacher, you want change in your people. But I'm not going to get it by manipulating you emotionally. I'm going to get it by proclaiming the gospel. And I, I, I listen to people and they say, well, but we're 2,000 years out and we need, really? We don't need anything. We need that book. And we need it explained. Okay? So now we move into verses 7 to 9. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to me, given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Okay? This thing that God, we looked at, God planned in chapter 1. 
He says, this is my plan. And he reveals it to the Apostle Paul who wrote it to the Ephesians that before creation, the Godhead made a plan, a plan of redemption, a plan that included you and me. That was chapter 1. But now the Apostle Paul says this thing that God planned needs a preacher. Like verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to what? Preach. Preach. God had a plan and He needed someone to proclaim it. Jesus laid the foundation. He was the chief cornerstone. He had the apostles who laid the foundation. But it had to go forth. It had to be proclaimed. Paul says, I was the one. Okay, verse 7. I was made the minister. Okay, the gospel. The gospel of this mystery. The good news of this mystery, which I was made a minister. The preaching of this mystery. All according to what? The gift of grace of God. Paul's just kind of got this smile on his face and says, this is given to me. Free gift from God to preach the mystery. To the Gentiles. And if you think about it, have you ever thought about this? There's times that I spend in Scripture. And I realize, who better to go to the Gentiles than the Apostle Paul? Peter struggled with it. Matthew had problems with it. Oh, he's a tax collector. He had problems with all kinds of things. Okay, But if you think about it, it had to be someone who was enmeshed in Judaism to share to the Gentiles who had no idea what that was. And yet, if you think about it, Paul being enmeshed in Judaism, he would understand every argument that would come against it. God thought that out pretty good, don't you think? He says he is the least. I am the least of the saints to preach to the Gentiles. Highly educated man. He was from Tarsus. Uh, If you lived in a city where there was a university, there's one in Rome, Tarsus, and Alexandria, Egypt. Okay? If you lived in those cities, guess what? Free education. So he was college educated, and then he had moved to Jerusalem and had begun studying under the Pharisees, Gamali. Educated. You know what that means? He is very understanding of the Gentile way because he was in Tarsus, but he's also steeped in the Judaism. Perfect. Paul says, I am the preacher. Listen, you have to. To have a preacher. We're missing that today. Listen, let's be realistic. The word preacher has got negative connotations to it. I'm sure if you've had kids, uh, you have heard this phrase. Don't preach at me. If you're not, you will. <laughs> okay? Don't preach at me. Okay, so it's got this negative thing to it. All right, And yet, I understand how it works because I have been called to be a preacher. Okay, And yet, I find myself at times, I don't want to say that, I teach the Bible. Boy, I, I don't want them to know that I'm, I'm about to preach at you. <laughs> Let me... Expand on preacher a bit from Romans chapter 10. 
The first 13 verses, Paul is defending this gospel that he's laid out. He's dealt with the doctrine of sin. He's dealt with the doctrine of salvation. He's dealt with the doctrine of sanctification. And now he's dealing with the Jewish mindset that would be kind of against some of this. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God, verse 1, is for them is their salvation. He wants Israel saved. I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance to knowledge. Okay? None of you have ever seen this, have you? It's all over the place. It's all over the place. I'm excited about God, but I have no idea how tall he is. Okay? And I can tell everybody, he's real tall. Okay? How tall is he? Well, the water's fit in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand is creation. I'm figuring he's really tall. Okay? Big guy. Big guy. My God can whip your God. Okay? They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance to knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. I taught this out at cowboy camp. Out of a letter of Hebrews. That's what we do. We make an establishment of what is right and what is wrong. We don't ever seek the face of God and ask Him what is right and what is wrong. And then when He does show it to us, what is our first response? <laughs> Why? Why is that right or why is that wrong? Well, I'm the Creator. You're the creature. I know better than you know. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ paid the penalty that was due in the breaking of the law of God. Therefore, the righteousness is of Christ. For Moses writes that a man who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. You set the standard, you have to live by it. But the righteous, righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. Deuteronomy 30, 14. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. Okay? You've heard it. That's one of the confusing things about the gift of tongues. It's, it's funny. It's Paul tells us what the gift is for. Nobody's ever read it that far, evidently. Because he said it is a sign to these people. What people? The Jews. Greeks want wisdom. Gentiles. The Jews want a sign. See, here's the thing. When Jesus was accused of being of Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, demonic okay when they publicly did that do you realize that from after that time on he taught in parables up until that time he was straight at it but when they concluded that what he was doing was by the power of a demon he began teaching in parables see a parable is really cool 
You can make it say whatever you want it to be. If you hear a parable, you can make it. I know that because I've heard preachers preach on the parables. And it's funny because right after the parable, he takes his disciples off to the side and explains it to them. And I'm like, why don't you read that part? So they don't know what he just said. It's a riddle. Well, if I go into a congregation that is full of non-believing Jews and I speak in Swahili, they have no idea what I just said. Still a gospel. They still heard it. They have no clue what it is. So it is a sign of judgment. You've heard the gospel. It was just in a language you didn't understand. That's why you need to have an interpreter with tongues. Why? Because then I can take to the believers and explain to them what I just said. It's judgment of God. He says, the word is near you. In your mouth, in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. Okay, what is it? What is it, Paul? I thought you'd never ask. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what happens? You will be saved. That's salvation. That's salvation. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Salvation. It's, 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 it's like this. The sacrament of baptism. Baptism don't save you. Baptism is me publicly telling you what has happened to me. Okay, I've I've been approached to do a baptism of a dear friend that I've known, I don't know, a number of years. I rode with him all the way back to Washington, D.C. and back with a whole bunch of other crazy people. And uh, he called me up and says, I want you to baptize him. And I was like, well, it doesn't do anything. And he says, no, but I need to be baptized. I said, well... And then he, I asked him, I said, well, tell me why you want to be baptized. And he explained it to me. And I was like, you know what? This guy, an old retired jarhead, knows the gospel better than some pastors I know. And he shared salvation. I was sitting there going, well, all right, old man. He said, well, when can we do it? I don't know. There's no water in Plum Creek. But anyway, we'll work on it. Nah, we'll get it dealt with. Why? Because he, I can tell in his voice that there was an inner thing that wasn't there before. And he says, I, he says, I, we've been attending a church. I want to go, been going to church and all the rest of that. He says, but I want you to baptize me. Well, that's fine. I said, I'll go get me a super soaker and we'll spend an hour or so doing it and you'll be all wet. Why? In your heart is the righteousness. Out of your mouth you speak of that righteousness. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Uh, Literally put to shame. In the original language. Will not be disappointed. Put to shame. There's no distinction between, there he goes again. Between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, now I want to make that. I've worked in construction in the past, and there's a lot of people calling on the name of the Lord on a regular basis. Okay, that does not mean they were all saved. Okay, calling on the name of the Lord, the name means all that He is. Okay, so it's really important that you know all that he is. Because when you call on the name of the Lord, you're calling on all that he is. He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He is second person of the triune God. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is all knowing. He knows all of this. That's the one you call upon. 
You know, I hear people saying, well, you know, you, you need to get you an accountability partner. <laughs> Where do I go to get away from him? He knows my thoughts before I speak them. I have an accountability partner. He even knows what I'm dreaming. I have one. That is the name of the Lord. All right. So, that's the argument that the Jews would have. Because then their next thing they're going to say is, I don't believe because I didn't hear. So Paul says, oh yeah? Well, I used to be a Jew. Not anymore. Here's what he says. Now then, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Got it? See the argument? You ever heard this one? I've heard this argument a lot. Well, what about the aborigines who's hidden in the jungle and he ain't never heard nothing when he dies, does he go to hell? Because, you know, he never heard nothing. He don't know nothing about all that. (laughs) It's nice to know that that many people are worried about the aborigines. Okay, truth of the matter is, what do you believe? If they never hear the gospel and they die, what happens? Afraid to say it? I'll say it. They pay the penalty of their sin. There's only one sacrifice. Only one. Well, they didn't hear. You're right. Why? God didn't send them a preacher. Anybody want to sign up? Just an idea. See what I'm trying to get at? It's easy for us at times to let our emotions or our intellect get ahead of stuff that God says, that's none of your business. If if I want that aborigine saved, I'm going to send him a preacher. Why? There ain't any other way. Okay? We got to get that. You can't read a cartoon book about Jesus Christ and Jonah or something, and say, oh, I think I'll be saved. No, how is it? They have to hear. Verse 15, How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Wonderful. Okay, so they would give this argument that, well, I couldn't believe because I hadn't heard. Hmm. Verse 16, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? You know what he just said? The reason you didn't believe. The reason you think you won't be guilty. is because you didn't believe the report. I mean, I was reading a guy named Ereshine, and he was talking about Jesus' three-year ministry in Israel, Judea, Galilee, and then over in Samaria. He says, for all intents and purposes, disease and death ceased for three years. And I thought about that, and I was like, wow, you know what? I mean, it, it did. So it's not like people had not heard of this person, Jesus. I mean, you just don't raise the dead. And I, you know, I, th- I think about the guy coming and says, "Your daughter, my daughter can't. She's so sick, she's going to die. Can you come to her?" And then his servant comes up and says, "It's too late. Your daughter has died." And Jesus says, "Because of your faith, she's up." And you're like, "Well, that's sort of like healing by osmosis or something." But no, he can, he just, that's what they call reach out and touch somebody. See what I mean? That's amazing stuff. So it's not like Israel had not heard about this guy from Nazareth. 
Lord, who has believed our report? You did not heed the message that was given. Verse 17, key. So faith comes from hearing. Okay? And hearing by the word of Christ. You know what I like about this? There's no plan B. See, the argument would be, uh, I didn't hear, so how can I be guilty? All right? See, he already said you have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They established their own righteousness instead of God's righteousness. Listen, this is alive and well in the body of Christ right now. Do you understand the arrogance of this statement? Contemporary worship. You understand what that's saying? God says, this is my worship, but I've got contemporary over here. No, they haven't heard. They've got a zeal. I'll give them that. They've got a zeal. But it ain't according to knowledge. And then a lot of times in pulpits now, you don't hear preaching. You hear, I don't know what you hear. I, I don't know. Paul would know what the argument was to these, the readers of this letter. And he would have, because he would have had the argument in the beginning. How shall we hear? How shall we believe? You can't if you haven't heard. You know, I was in Russia. The first time I went to Russia, uh, I would ask people, different age groups, um, especially those who were come out of the later end of the Stalinistic time, and Stalin had outlawed Christmas, okay? Uh, they would have a holiday in that first part of January, but it was the workers' holiday. I mean, people got off because everybody worked so hard, and here, just take a, a little block of time and, and have fun, okay? But you're not allowed to bring up Jesus. You're not allowed to bring up Bible or anything like that. Nah, I don't want no part of that. And so you had 70 years plus... There's no such thing as Christmas, okay? And I remember asking some kids, what's Christmas? And they all smile at me. That's St. Nicholas's birthday. Okay. Or they, you know, all kinds of different answers are for Christmas. And I thought, wow, man, these people have no idea on the birth of Christ, okay? But you know what I found out? What's Easter? And every one of them, regardless of their age, whether they're a babuska or da, that is the resurrection of God's Son. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. You don't know Christmas? But see, Stalin never outlawed Easter. He outlawed Christmas. And I thought, well, you know, most of America doesn't know what Easter is. So the argument would be, how can I believe if no one preaches it? How shall there be a preacher unless someone's sin? Someone's sin. What people are saying is that you can't hold us responsible because I haven't heard and we never heard because nobody came preaching. We didn't have any preachers. Now, I have to be honest with you at the condition of the evangelical community in America today, the places that I have been, we are really thin on preachers. But I can also tell you that I look at the condition of the church the spiritual condition of the church, and I can say I rest my case. I remember talking to a seminary president uh, a number of years ago. He lost his job because he believed the Bible was inerrant. 
How does that work? But anyway, um, he, he lost his job because of that. And I remember sitting and talking to him. He says, you know what? We've got kids who are coming in here. Okay, you understand seminary is master's degree work? You go to seminary, sometimes it's three to four years, depending on. But it's master's work, okay? So you, you're not, you're just not going to walk off the street and say, ah, I think I'm going to go in here and get my master's in theology. <clears throat> but he, he made a statement to me. He says, you know, we've got a very large percentage of our students who come in here and believe that in the Old Testament you were saved by works and in the New Testament you were saved by faith. That's impressive if you think about it. But I looked at him. You know me and my wonderful sense of humor and bubbly effervescent personality. I just looked at him and said, uh, you're just reaping what you sow. You're training these guys. They're going to the pulpits. And now they're sending back their harvest. And this is what you're getting. He didn't appreciate that. But he still likes me. I beat him in golf. He has to be nice. I think he's the only person I've ever beaten in golf. I think that says a lot right there. Faith comes by hearing. But please note, it must be a message about Christ. Okay? I've heard messages, a lot of messages, uh, a lot of people talking. But one of the things that I have found is that there's a lack of faith. People, I hear a lot of people who can regurgitate Scripture, okay, bring it back. But you can tell in their voice, they don't have any confidence in it. Okay, if I can notice that, then the regular hearers are going to notice it. You know, I remember hearing a preacher who says, I'm not really sure what this says, but I think. And I thought, shut up. Go sit down, let's play the drums or something until you're confident on what it says. I didn't say that. They didn't ask me. If they'd asked me, I'd have said it. That, brothers and sisters, is kind of what Paul is dealing with now in Ephesians. I have been made a minister to preach. To preach. Now, I, I need to be very specific here because... If you're saved, you are a minister, all right? But some ministers preach, all right? Some don't. God knows, and I made this statement every time I taught out at cowboy camp, God understood, God knows that the responsibility is on what you've heard. Okay? So the more you've heard, guess what? The more you're responsible for. So if you have shallow theology from a shallow preacher, then you're responsible for that shallow theology. All right? But... If you've got deep theology from a deep preacher, I hear people saying, well, you know, what we need is to have the preacher there and then augment his ministry with a theologian. Nah. The preacher should be a theologian. The amount you have heard is what you are responsible for. So God made Paul a minister to preach, to proclaim this mystery. Okay? If you look there and it says in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, of which I was made a minister. Okay, the word minister there is diakonos. Okay, we have a group that we call deacons, right? Servant. Basically, if you really look at the nuances of it, when it was first ever used, they were table waiters. They were serving the Hellenistic Jews versus the Jewish Jews. 
Okay? A common busboy. People will say, well, Paul said he's an apostle. Yeah, he did. Does that make him? Nope. He's still a servant. He's a servant. He's a waiter. That's as high as he, Paul, is allowed to go. Interesting, don't you think? Let me define for you a servant. A servant is one who acts on command. He obeys the command of his master. Gosh, it kind of loses some of its luster, doesn't it? A servant is someone who always recognizes a higher authority. You know what I've learned? That's hard in America. Paul knew he only acted on the command of God. He knew that he was to obey his master's will and that he was subject to a higher authority. Period. You remember a few years ago when we were in 1 Corinthians, he spoke of Apollos and Cephas and himself. Okay? And he said that we are servants, ministers, diakonos. He even goes on and says, let man count us as servants. And the word that he uses there, I got into trouble with this, <laughs> with one of our old elders. Hupitas. Okay. And that doesn't even make table waiter. Okay, Hupitas is a third level galley slave. Okay, if the boat only had two rows of oars, then the Hupitas is the ballast in the bottom. So when one of the galley, the rowers above him dies, they take him out of the ballast place and put him in that slot. It is... He uses that term because he wants you to understand that's the lowest level you can get and still be above water. <laughs> he says, we are hupatas. Apollos is a slave. Cephas is a slave. I am a slave. There's nothing lower than what we do. It's an interesting thought, don't you think? Seems to be an awful lot of arrogance in the pulpits these days. And all I can think of is, ain't you supposed to be ballast? <laughs> I haven't said that either. Servants of the Almighty God. Servants. Do you, uh, and I'll just close with this thought, and we'll pick it up next week. I want you to think about something about servants, because we talk about it. You'll see a lot of times they'll translate things, bond servant. Okay, that's not in the original text. It literally means slave. Okay, but with the Civil War and a few other odds and ends, they don't like to use that word. But that's what it meant. You know what that means, right? These servants, they don't own anything. Okay? They just manage their owner's stuff. That's what he's saying here. I was made a minister to preach to the Gentiles. That's a servant. The preacher is only a servant. And next week I'll show you that preacher doesn't even choose it. I had a half a dozen people ask me, well, tell me about your calling. I said, my what? I said, tell me about your calling. I said, well, I was the last man standing. They said, what? I said, everybody else has left and I was it. Well, but I mean, what was your calling? Well, God, by his grace, told me to get after it. I mean, the calling was, what are you studying, Terry? I said, First Peter. And he says, okay, can you preach that till we find a pastor? It was 24 years ago. Talk about people who are slow. <laughs> when are you going to find that guy? <laughs> I mean, 
Put a one ad out. Okay? But we are ministers. Every Christian is a minister, is a servant. Understand, you don't own nothing. And guess what? You always have authority over you. Regardless. All right? I mean, I have authority over me all the time. And it comes in all kinds of containers. But I want you to understand that. Because Paul understood that his ministry was a gift by God's grace to him. So that those who have ears will hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul and the ministry that you graced him with. That, Father, we reap even now profit from it. Father, I ask that each of us understand our position in the body of Christ. Father, we understand we are but servants to an almighty God. Father, uh, that means that we don't pick and choose what you want us to do. Father, we are heartily and readily, here I am, send me. To you, my Lord, my Savior, my King, Thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen.